one and one. One and one on the long season run, the steeplechase that is the NBA season. Over hurdles, splashing through puddles, people chasing you, everybody bunched together. You know, they like to say that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Well, I that might apply to baseball, but I think the NBA season is more like a steeplechase this year. Everybody just running in a pack together, trying not to fall in the water, a trip over a barricade and make it to the finish line. I think that's going to be the Western Conference. Lloyd Leon Coop in the building. You're tuned in. Coach and the Culture Podcast. I am Coach Frank. And uh, we got the super producer, Lloyd Coop in the spot. And the season has begun. The Timberwolves are one and one. It started off with the road laws, followed it up with a home win against a Miami team that seemed content on tossing them a softball. If there is such a thing when you're playing a Eric Spolster coach team in the Miami Heat. Um, and so we got a little bit to evaluate after week one. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to the Coach in the Culture podcast as we embark on our year two journey. And uh, it's it's just as interesting as it has ever been. We have seen, um, hopefully, the worst of the Wolves right out the gate in game one. And I don't mean that necessarily by the score of the game, but I mean uh, by the mentality uh, that I think a couple of our stars slash superstars played with. Um, and then I think in game two, we saw a little bit of foreshadowing of how at least the early part of the season is going to look. And uh, I think that bodes well as the season moves on um, because I think that the foundation of defense that they seem to have set um, or at least been trying to set. I feel like at least they're backing up their words on that. Uh, they're the number two ranked defense uh, uh, defense efficiency in the league after a couple of games here. And really they've done that without playing great offense. And in game one, you could even say um, high school level offense. And so the fact that you can sabotage your defense with offense as bad as they did in game one against Toronto up in Toronto and only give up 97 points um, bodes well. I think the fact that, you know, you only gave up 90 points against a Miami Heat team that decided to rest um, three of their top six rotation also bodes well when you consider that even though they shot a little better offensively in game two, they weren't exactly what I would call explosive, which it's hard to be explosive against the Eric Spolster coach team, no matter who they put on the floor. Uh, and so I think there's some positive things. Coop, you were at the game last night. Yes, sir. And uh, what? first off, man, what was the energy like in the building? The energy was good. It was an energy of the, the fans were ready for a new season. Yeah. <laughs> You can feel that they're they're ready to see the other uh, results of this this trade, and everyone's healthy. They were just ready. I think they were just ready for Timberwolves basketball. It's just basketball in general. They just yeah, let's go. They were amped. Target still they were amped, man. So it was a good. 
it was pretty full. It was pretty uh, nice crowd, really good crowd. Uh, and you can hear from, you can hear it, bro. I I didn't, I'm not sure if I just recognize this, but they really like, they really love Nas Reed. Oh, well, you you just not recognizing that, man? Yeah, bro, I didn't pay attention to like the introductions that much, but man, but yeah. People are naming their pets Nas Reed. <laughs> pe- 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 people are, you know, they got, you know, the, the what would Jesus do signs. They got what would Nas Reed do signs. You know, they got they got honk if you love Nas Reed, you know. Um, he was like honk for world peace. Oh, and honk if you love Nas Reed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Nas is definitely a fan favorite. Um, and there's, you know, it's it's easy to see why I think anyone can appreciate someone who works their way into a space and place when in whatever their profession is where um people can see them just through hard work and dedication ascend to the um to the higher upper echelons of their profession. I mean, anybody outside of Floyd Mayweather, you know, <laughs> they they still hate on Floyd, but but um you know, I just think people can appreciate somebody who who puts the work in and and who does things with a business like attitude and persona. And I think Nas definitely um, brings that to the basketball court. And I think that Minnesota fans can um, identify, you know, with with this man who just really, really works. I remember when Ricky Rubio first uh, played his first games in Minnesota and the fans just loved Ricky Rubio. Um, and it really didn't, you know, it was his energy that he infused in the team more necessarily than his numbers or his stats. It was just that style of play that showed that he cared every moment he was on the floor. Right. And so Ricky, when he first started, he couldn't shoot a lick, you know, but he was going to give you everything he had. He was going to, he was going to make all the extra hustle plays. He was going to, he was going to put every ounce of his skills on display with his heart right next to him every time he went out there. And I think, you know, that's that's what Nas Reed does. Nas Reed does. And so um, before we before we get into Nas, though, uh, and before we even get into um, last night's game, I want to start from the beginning of the season. I want to start with the game against the Toronto Raptors. Um, and that was the game that. After game one, a lot of Minnesota Timberwolves fans were, you know, ready to jump off the cliff, trade people already. They were calling for Finch's head after one game. And and I and, you know, I can understand the the hesitation um after a lot of talk, which I've said many times I wish this team would just go, go do and not talk. Um, after a lot of talk about how they were going to improve certain things and really in the preseason showing a commitment to improving those things, most notably the ball movement and player movement. And, you know, this is, this is the coach in the culture podcast. And uh, if you're just joining us, I invite you to go back even to last year and listen to some of our previous podcasts back when we were the coach and the crooner. And these are things that from a coach's mindset, I've been talking about all along is that what wins is ball movement and player movement. What wins is, you know, winning the possession battle. Don't give up offensive rebounds. Don't turn the ball over. We had an episode uh, uh, last spring during the playoffs called Styles Make 
fits and fights. And we talked about how the Timberwolves have to find their winning style um, for us to really evaluate fully what this can be. Um, And so that game one against Toronto, um, you saw a team, in my opinion, that was trying to make the playoffs in the first game. Um, one of the things I've been curious to see, and I've talked to some other podcasters about it, um, is how they handle the pressure because last year they didn't handle the pressure very well at all. And, you know, it kind of boiled over, uh, right before the playoffs, you know, and that's how you, you lose Rudy for a playing game. That's how you lose Jaden for the whole playoffs. And you could just see how the pressure got to them and, Although they've had a year now to kind of regroup and and get familiarity. And, you know, we've been talking on this podcast about the whole continuity angle really since before the Denver season ended last year. But what has not gone away and what I think is probably even more ratcheted up this season is the pressure uh, to be successful, especially with the salary cap situations. Everybody kind of knows that the likelihood of this group being together um, at the end of the, you know, free agency period um, next in 2024 is slim to none unless they, I say, make a game seven of the Western Conference Finals. That has to be the minimum that they can even convince themselves that we keep this together. I don't think another long-term injury to a key player will do it um, given their financial situation. Um, I don't think uh, making the second round of the playoffs and bowing out in five or six games will do it. I think in order to convince management that the price tag that they're paying for the players that they have is worth the luxury tax price and the second um, the second shelf, the second level that they would pay that would be very penal for them is is uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna pay that price unless they see a team that develops into a championship caliber team and shows it by winning and getting deep into the playoffs. And like I said, I think it has to be a minimum of a game seven Western Conference Finals, if not an NBA Finals appearance. So the pressure is really, really, really high and heavy on this team. Uh, we talked off pod about how you said Cat's introduction was. Not exactly all, um, in, uh, invigorating. <laughs> it was not exactly, um, you know, something that was going to fan the flames of excitement for for the Target Center crowd. Um, right. Cat's demeanor, I think, has been one that, you know, the writing's kind of on the wall in terms of what this season has to look like for him to stick around in Minnesota. We know that Cat's an emotional guy, so... You know, I'm not going to speculate how much all of those circumstances are affecting him, but you know, he's a human being. These guys are human beings first. This has been his home for a really long time, so I can't imagine that it wouldn't affect him. And so, what we saw in the Toronto game, in my opinion, was a couple of guys that have a lot on the line that are the stars, if not superstars, of this team that were trying way too hard in Cat and Ant and tried to come out and win the game by themselves. Um, And I think Chris Finch probably could have pushed 
some different buttons. But as a coach, I I keep thinking back to the the 1992 um, Olympic Dream Team and and the scrimmage that the first scrimmage they had against the collegiate players with Bobby Hurley and them and how they got waxed in that first scrimmage. And, you know, if you watch the documentary about the the Dream Team, the first Dream Team, um, in hindsight, they talk about how Chuck Daly threw that scrimmage. Well, I don't think Chris Finch threw game one at Toronto, but I do think Chris Finch um, was okay with the outcome because as a coach, sometimes you just got to let them hit their head one more time. Like, you just got to be like, you know what? Y'all talked a good game. I've put you in position. We've been preparing you all training camp long to play a certain way. And you guys, uh, because I think of the pressure um, and the sense of urgency, decided you were going to throw everything out the window and do it your way. And since we have 81 more games to go after this one, I'm going to go ahead and let you bump your head. And so... That's what the Toronto game felt like to me. It felt like at, you know, at a certain point in time in that game, Chris Finch was like, I'm not going to put Jordan McLaughlin out there. I'm not going to put Troy Brown Jr. out there. I'm going to let you guys go ahead and and go ahead and hit your head up against the wall. Go ahead and punch the wall again. <laughs> go right ahead. Since clearly you ain't learned. You know, go ahead and punch the wall. Now, having said that, when I watched that game the second and half of a third time, I couldn't help but to think that there was a whole lot that they could build off of. The bottom line is um, basketball maturity, again, feeling the pressure, the decision-making, the valuing of possessions, all those things we've been talking about on podcast after podcast, Will the Timberwolves be mature enough? Will they value enough possessions to consistently win NBA ball games at the level they need to to be, you know, a top four seed? Clearly, that wasn't the case in that Toronto game. But what was the case in that Toronto game was they rebounded better. And in grand, Toronto's a small team, but that hasn't mattered much in the past when it comes to rebounding with the Wolves. But the fact that they had 62 rebounds and out-rebounded Toronto by 15, the fact that they had 16 offensive rebounds to Toronto's eight, the fact that, you know, even though they were bad shots more often than not, you know, we we could beat the shot selection dead horse, you know, into the ground. But they won the shot possessions battle, I believe, by almost – 16. I have to double check. Yeah, they took 100 shots by 10. They took 100 shots to Toronto's 10. Now, some of those shots, they just took horrible shots. Other shots were they missed really wide open shots. And again, that goes back to that feeling like they were trying too hard. Because when you're trying too hard, you're never comfortable, especially when things don't start off well for you. You just feel like you're, you know, you're, you're swimming in mud, you know, and it's hard to make shots when you're not comfortable and it's hard to make shots when you're pressing and you feel like there's a lot of pressure on each shot that you take because shots aren't falling and because you're not getting shots in rhythm when two guys are pounding the air out of the ball and just going to the basket with a one-track mind and taking whatever wild shot 
I think that we know Cat has to make threes to open things up. And the fact that he was two for 10 from three in that game, I think it was kind of like, okay, well, what's our plan B? Because our plan A was Cat's going to light him up from the outside and Rudy's going to do his thing inside and Ant's going to do his thing. And, you know, the numbers have been much talked about. Ant went four for 20 from two. Cat went two for 10 from three. Cat, who's generally been one of the more efficient players in the league, game in and game out, um, was horribly inefficient. And I've been talking really multiple times on this podcast how the step that I would like to see Anthony Edwards take is an efficiency. Too many five for 19 games. Too many six for 20 games. You know, and we get we get um, mesmerized and hypnotized by the games where everything is falling. But as a former player and as a coach, the game is really easy when everything you put up is going in. Um, and so instead of allowing the game to come to them and allowing them to find a rhythm shooting the basketball, they just kept chucking and bucking, man. They just kept putting them up there. And, you know, they had in that game, they had a hundred shot attempts and cat and ant took 52 of them. Two players took over half of your shot attempts in an NBA game in which you got off 100 shots. That's not really a formula for winning, right? Dallas has got Luka and Kyrie, and I venture to guess that if Dallas gets up 100 shots and Luka and Kyrie are taking 52 of them, the game's going to be close, but they're not going to win a lot of games that way. That's just not a winning formula in an NBA game. You know, especially when you have as much overall team talent as the Wolves had. And I said in our season preview, what has to happen is Ant has to be a top three, I think, in the NBA closer, if not top five. I think he has to be top five in points scored in the fourth quarter. And I think he has to be top three in points scored at clutch time or at least in the last three minutes. And, you know, that didn't happen against Toronto down the stretch of that game and the Timberwolves lost by three. For as bad as it was, if Ant does those two things, if he is the leading scorer for the game in the fourth quarter and he is, you know, De'Aaron Fox-like is the comparison that I used in the previous podcast in the last three minutes of the game, as bad as they play, they still win that game. And you can point to a lot of other things. You can say, well, you know, how many times is Cat going to shoot two for ten? It might happen more often this season than we are accustomed to. And this is something I've talked about on the podcast is that with Cat playing the four, he's not going to get as many wide open, comfortable three-point shots as he used to get when he was exclusively playing the five. When centers, oftentimes, even though when they knew they had to come out of the paint, they were hesitant to come all the way out there, especially in the secondary transition when he comes down from, you know, above the top of the key area, um, he's going to get more contested three-point shots. Um, and and he's going to have to get those shots off more decisively and quicker. And we're going to talk about Nas Reed and his game two performance a little bit later. But one of the things about Nas Reed is there's no nonsense about what he's trying to do with the ball. When he gets that swing, if he's shooting it, he's shooting it. There's no hesitation. And Cat's going to have to shoot with no hesitation because one, he's oftentimes being guarded by players that are um, quicker 
lower to the ground. He doesn't play with a lot of leverage anyway, uh, getting down very often. And so he's going to have to be ready to fire off the catch. And that, you know, is a little bit different than the amount of, um, you know, line up your line up your target time that he's had when he's playing the five. So, you know, Cat talks about being the greatest shooting big man, greatest shooting center ever, but that doesn't mean you're the greatest shooting power forward ever. And now you're going to have to really show that you're an assassin from out there with a laser scope and a quick trigger because you're not going to get the amount of space that you had in the past when you had centers, you know, playing out of out of their comfort zone coming all the way out there to guard you. So, you know, on one hand, you say, how many times is Cat going to shoot two for 10? I would keep an eye on Cat's three-point shooting percentage all season long. If Cat shoots 40% from three like he has throughout his career, that's going to bowl really well for the Wolves. But right now, I believe after two games, he is three for 14. And we, you know, I've talked about how three-point shooting is streaky. Um, I talked in the last podcast, in the preview pod, about how Nikhil Alexander-Walker, fans are going to have to be patient with him because he's going to go through some stretches where he can't hit the broad side of a barn. Um, I didn't expect to be prophetic and for that to start in game one and two. <laughs> you know, but but uh, he's really struggling with his shot. I think he's like two for, I know he was one for five game one, and and um, and he was one for six game two, so he's two for 11 from three to start off the season. And it's not that he's a bad shooter, and it's not that he can't shoot. He's a streak shooter. And he's going to have games where he's getting, and he's getting probably the best looks out of anybody on the team. He's the player that's getting those swing, swing, wide open looks from the corners. Um, but that's how shooting is, especially I think sometimes early in the season when you're trying to really get your rhythm and your comfort, and and you're with a group that's still trying to find their winning style. Um, he knows where his shots are going to come from. He knows what shots he's going to get. Right now, he's not making them. And I caution fans to be patient. Jaden's going to come back. So uh, there won't be as much pressure on the kill to make all of those shots. And once Jaden comes back, we hope that Jaden comes back the 40% shooter right out the gate because they need that position to get hot. That'll open up things for everybody else. Um, you know, Troy Brown Jr. didn't play at all. Um, actually, well, he did play five minutes uh, in game one. Didn't get a shot off. You know, so... The guys that they're counting on to come off the bench and make shots, one of them starting because of the injury, he's not making shots yet. Troy Brown Jr. is not making shots yet. Um, and I talked about how both of those guys are going to be streaky. So you just got to be patient with them um, because they're going to go through multi-game stretches where they're shooting three for 12, three for 15, and then they're going to go through stretches where they make 11 out of 15. And, you know, that's when the Timberwolves offense – is going to really be explosive, hopefully, you know. And and Cat might be streaky as well this year. He might be in a in a in a cold streak, um, but his shot selection is really important. You know, he doesn't have to just sit out there and shoot threes. He's getting paid, you know, super max contract to do more than just sit out there and shoot threes. Yes, he's got to shoot threes and he's got to make threes. But you know, for somebody who's perennially, um been a high efficiency player by far and away the most efficient player on this team eight for 25s can't happen for cat 
you know there's going to be some eight for 27s for Ant. You know, hopefully not many. Hopefully that's like one of maybe three all season. But realistically, there's going to be some five for 18s, some five for 19s, you know, some six for 19s. There's going to be those games from Ant. Cat can't have eight for 25 games. And that's just, it is what it is. You know, he, he's got to do better than that. And he can't go eight for 25 and only get to the free throw line one time. You know, you just you can't have that level of efficiency out of cat um and expect a win. Having said that, again, they only lost by three. You know, Kyle Kyle Anderson looks like he's, you know, Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed and Mike Connolly, I think those three players, um, especially, and and I would even say Rudy Gobert, just based off of these first two games, you can kind of throw him in that mix. Those players kind of understand how their game translates to winning and they can do it fairly effortlessly. They're going to be fairly consistent. Even last year when Rudy didn't have the year fans expected him to have, he didn't have a horrible year. You know, he just didn't have a all NBA, all defense year, but he had a pretty damn good year by NBA center comparisons for most of the for the rest of the centers around the league, not named and being Jokic. Um, you know, those guys understand how their games translate to winning. And so it doesn't surprise me that Kyle Anderson has been the most consistent player through two games. It doesn't surprise me that Nas Reed, you know, he didn't play bad the first game. He's three for eight, 0 for two from three, four for four, got to the free throw line four times in in 24 minutes, which is about what he's going to play. He gave him double figures in those 24 minutes, you know, um, only committed one turnover. You know, of course, the ball wasn't moving, so there wasn't the same opportunities for Nas Reed in the first game because the ball wasn't moving. You know, and Cat was on, you know, 52 out of 100 shots mode. So so that doesn't surprise me about the first game. So let's, let's then talk about, you know, why I felt like watching it and looking at it from like, okay, from a game style standpoint, from a coach's standpoint, what can we take away from that game? Well, the fact that you held Toronto to 97 points when your two best players uh, or your two most important offensive players had more turnovers than assists and, you know, shot 16 for 52 from the field and you only lose by three, that definitely speaks to the commitment to we're going to play defense no matter what. And, you know, Finch talked about it and I've been saying it for, you know, even before we started podcasting and definitely last year and been, you know, arguing with people on Twitter about it. A lot of times when people talk about the Wolves' bad defense, this is before Rudy, what they weren't recognizing is their offense was the culprit in their bad defense. The way you play offense has a direct effect on how you're able to play defense. Non-rhythm shots that you don't offensive rebound lead to runouts for the other team. Bad long shots lead to runouts for the other team. Bad turnovers lead to runouts for the other team. Uh, when you are as big as the Wolves are and you know teams are going to run on you every chance they get, you absolutely have to be efficient in the shots that you choose to take, both in shot selection and something else we've talked about on this podcast and in shot choice. Sometimes in, in the Toronto game, Ant or Cat shooting the ball wasn't a bad shot selection from the team standpoint, but the shot that they cho- chose to take 
out of the options they had, you just kind of go, why the hell would you choose that shot of all the options that you had of shots you could have cho chosen, you know? And so when you have bad shot selection and bad shot choice, that is going to cripple your defense, right? And through all of that, they only gave up 97 points. Now to a Toronto team that I don't imagine is going to be a top five team in offense in the league. Um, so, you know, there is that. Um, but you clearly demonstrated your commitment to the defensive end and your commitment to making things work in the half court on the defensive end. And so, you know, to me, I just looked at a team that was just trying too hard. They were pressing. They were feeling the pressure from game one of we have to put on a good show and we want to put the league on notice. This is how we're going to play every game. And I think defensively they were doing that, but that got overshadowed by offensively, you, you know, fans, probably Chris Finch during the game, um, analysts around the league would look at and be like, same old Wolves. You know, Charles Barkley didn't see anything in game one that would make him retract that statement that the Wolves are the stupidest team in the NBA. Because in game one, they played like the stupidest team in the NBA, you know? And so, um, but you played like the stupidest team in the NBA and only lost by three. So at least, you know, we look at what was going on early season last year. I don't think effort was a problem in game one. They played hard enough to win. They played with an effort level that showed me that they were taking the game seriously, right? Um, and they played defense well enough to win. And people keep talking about, you know, their trans they got bow raced in transition. Yeah, they did. But that was as much of a function of their offense as it was their inability to get back in transition defense, right? Um, so I, I, I don't look at that as an indictment on their ability or inability to get back and play transition defense. Again, it goes back to styles. I look at it as an indictment of they hadn't and haven't yet figured out that this is the style we have to play that allows us to have the balance that we need to have to make up for the fact that we are not a small, you know, track race team. So we can't put our floor balance in horrible positions by ill-advised crashes to the offensive boards, even though they had 16 of them. And more importantly, ill-advised shot selection and ill-advised shot choice, right? So now we move to game two. And, and um, you know, they talked after game one about how this is good film. Honestly, that if I'm if I'm Coach Finch, that's one of them film sessions where you don't even really say much. You just put the film on and you let it play. And if anything, instead of stopping the film to teach through the negative things that happened in game one, if I'm Chris Finch, I'm stopping the film to teach through the positive things. When we do this, this is what happens. And this is what we were doing in preseason that made us successful in the preseason during the, the key player minutes. And this is what we talked about doing all summer when we had individual meetings and when you players got together and talked amongst each other and when we talked, you know, at, uh, individually with each of you as a staff over the summer, here's five clips of when we did the things we talked about all summer and all preseason to doing, and here's the results. 
And they were probably five for five in those clips. I mean, generally, you know, sometimes they'll show a really good clip, even if the result isn't good. I think they were probably like, yep, we scored all five times in those clips. You know, or if we continue to play half-court defense like this, we're going to be okay. But as far as all of the ugly in-game work, I wouldn't even stop the film. Because at eventually, a broken record just won't play no more. Like, so why bother sounding like a broken record? Why bother using your cuss and yell card that you only get so many of them as a coach throughout the course of a season? You only get to you only get to spaz out so many times before it falls on deaf ears. Why do that after game one when the players know that they play like ass? You know, they they were selfish, they were immature, they were pressing, they didn't play like a composed team that has the amount of talent that they have and is serious about making a run. They didn't play organized team basketball. Um, and so there's no point, in my opinion, in, you know, being hypercritical over the game film, just let it play. Be like, y'all watch yourselves. Shit. I ain't got nothing to say. You know, and then they came out, you know, in game two, um, like we talked about at the top of the podcast, anytime you're playing the Miami Heat, if you don't do the little winning things, it doesn't matter who they throw out on the floor, they can beat you, even on the second night of a back-to-back. You know, and and Miami Miami definitely pushed. You know, they definitely pushed through three quarters. And there were times in that game where Miami challenged the commitment of the Wolves to stay consistent with the style of play that I think they want to play versus reverting to the style that they played in Toronto. And you and I talked about how, you know, Anthony Edwards only had 11 points, or actually he had, what, 10 points, or, you know, what, no, 11 points, you know, going into the last, what, four minutes of the game, and then all of a sudden he goes three ball, window bucket, three ball, back-to-back-to-back possessions after Nas Reed had helped him create some separation. But I don't know if you recognize this or not, but he um, up until that point had seven assists and ended up leading the team with seven assists. And more importantly, he has seven assists to only two turnovers. So, you know, we're talking about over a three-to-one assist to turnover ratio. That, to me, is more important in game two than any amount of points Anthony Edwards scores. And when you can wrap that type of composed, ball-handling, ball-moving performance Mm -hmm. with a win, that is a big step, in my opinion, towards developing your winning style, right? And it's going to have nights. He's going to have nights where he's he's going to have, my, my guess is if I, you know, maybe I should make a prop bet in Vegas, but my guess is before the 82-game season is over and has five nights, my over-under is five nights or more where he puts up a 40 ball. The hope is that the Wolves are, he's, doing it in a way and the Wolves are playing in a way in which he they win four or five out of those games you know you don't want Ant to have five 40 balls and they lose you know three or four out of those five of those games right so how he gets to 40 is going to be important but he's going to have his nights right he's going to have nights where he just goes off right um because he's that's that type of player 
But the fact that he made it a point to play differently than he did in the first game, to stick with what their game plan was for developing their winning style of play. When he was double teamed to just get off the ball, you know, just swing the ball to the other side of the floor, not hold it too long, right? Uh, be as good of a decoy as he was a scorer to at times in the second half pick up uh, Tyler Hero out by half court or just on the on the uh, offensive side of half court before Tyler Hero and Miami got into the offense or their offensive side and just be a, a, a irritant and make Tyler Hero work just to dribble the ball on a night where he's playing on the second half of back to back like those little winning things Ant was doing and then yeah Nas Reed gave him some separation. And then Ant just nailed the final coffin home, which also is what I would like to see again out of him, whether it's we got a 10 point lead and, you know, because a 10 point lead with two minutes to go in the NBA is nothing. A 13 point lead with five and a half, six minutes to go in the NBA is nothing. So when Ant can come down and go for eight straight points and that lead goes from 12 to 20 and now everybody can rest. Right. You know, and Kyle Anthony Towns, you know, never needed to come back in the game in the fourth quarter. Now, one, Nas had it rolling and Rudy's been playing extremely well. And I'm almost curious to know that if Miami would have made a run and kind of closed the gap to five or so with four minutes to go, would Chris Finch have stayed with a hot Nas Reed and an effective Rudy Gobert? Or would he have come back with Carl Anthony Towns and said, you know, you are being paid a lot of money to not be on the bench in the last four minutes of close game. So that's going to be something, you know, to watch. But Nasri basically, you know, took took all the pressure off of Chris Finch in making that decision um, because he stretched that game out almost single-handedly and then Ant said, I'll take it from here, you know. And so I'm okay with Ant only scoring nine points if he scores eight points in a row and goes on a personal 8-0 run in the last four minutes of a game. I'm okay with that, you know, because I know that's, you know, when Ant scores is just as important as how much Ant scores, if that makes sense. Um, and I think it's most important for Ant to be a top three closer, you know, top five in the league in fourth quarter scoring, you know. So, um, and then, you know, Towns, you know, it's funny because Cat in, in, the, in the game two, in the Miami game, he doesn't look comfortable. His shot doesn't look comfortable. He seems there's a lot of hesitation in this game right now. He seems uncertain, um, especially when Rudy's on the floor with him. Kind of like, well, if I'm not making threes, I don't know what else to do when I'm out here with Rudy. Uh, he's being guarded by smaller players that are getting up in his body when he's really far away from the basket, which is where they need him to be when he's on the floor with Rudy. Um and he just looks uncomfortable. And yet there's a period toward the end of the third quarter, game's still very, very tight. And Cat goes on a little personal, you know, I think 5-0 run, you know, or something like that, seven-point seven, seven point, uh, run out of his 12 that he had for the game. And I thought that, as much as what Nas did, was – the change of momentum in the game. 
And I think it shows how much value that an effective and energized and and health and happy cat has on that team. Because when he did that, he he had the play where he kind of just, I think it was Duncan Robinson. And Miami went really small. So Cat and the Wolves did what you got to do when these teams go really small, punish them. And Cat, you know, Rudy wasn't on the floor. So Cat was able to get the ball kind of at the top of the key inside the three-point line, even in the elbow area, and just kind of bully his way against a smaller player to the basket. Um and went and dunked on him, and then he got the little float, the little floater teardrop to drop in, and I feel like he got another bucket in that stretch somewhere right before the end of the third quarter, and you could just see him get energized, and you could see the team get energized, and it was like the boost they needed going into the fourth quarter to really, um, you know, to, to really kind of say, okay, let's put these dudes away, right? And so you're going to look at the box score, and you can see that, you know, Cat only took 12 shots, which – in this particular game, again, after, you know, jacking up 26 shots or 25 shots or whatever, I'm okay with that because he didn't force any. He only went one for four from three. Again, he only got to the free throw line once. He went one for two from the free throw line. And that's a little concerning, the fact that Cat only has three free throws through two games. Um, now, they played a couple of teams that, well, they didn't give themselves a chance to get fouled against Toronto. And they played a Miami team that's obviously one of the most disciplined teams in the league, so they're not going to follow you a lot anyway. So there is that caveat. But, you know, that little stretch at the end of the third quarter, if Cat can take away from the game that little stretch, and the fact that he has gotten some wide-open looks when he's on the floor with Rudy, he's just not knocking them down. And I don't know if he's not knocking them down because he's feeling the pressure of, I have to make every one of these shots, and he's not just playing free and relaxed yet. Um, or if he's just, you know, struggling to find his stroke for a minute. Um, either way, or if the fact that he's having to get those shots off a little bit quicker, even the open ones, they're not quite as open as they were when he was playing the five. Um, I don't know. It could be a combination of those things, but what I do know is eventually Cat's going to get on a hot streak. And it'll be curious to see they're 30th in the league in offense right now. It'll be curious to see what happens to them offensively when – Instead of five for 12 and one for four from three and one for two from the line, Cat is nine for 14 and four for three for four or four for six from three and four for four from the line. What that does to their offensive efficiency, right? Because the other part about that is I've always said that, you know, Ant's going to get to 25 points most nights somehow, some way. Either he's just going to be really hot or he's just going to take a whole lot of shots. It's important for Cat to find his way to in between 20 and 25 points, right? And the fact that, you know, they lost to Toronto by three and Cat only had, what, 19 points. He's got to, you know, on those nights where it's a grind, their defense is going to keep them in the game, but, you know, Cat's got to get into the 20s. You know, so it'll he he doesn't look he looks probably the him and shake milton look the most uncomfortable out of anybody on the floor right now um and so that's something to watch going forward however on the flip side what i will say is i think cat's been really good defensively i think he's i think he's playing excellent defensive basketball and obviously the team is when you're number two in the league in defensive efficiency but, you know, the question is, how would they play defense with Cat and Rudy on the floor? 
And I think that, you know, they kind of answered that question. I haven't looked up the number of fast break points for Miami, but they only scored 90 points. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I said I didn't look up the fast break points number, but I think that, you know, shooting 50% from the field, shooting, you know, 35% as a team from three, which is about league average, um, 14 turnovers is maybe two to four, a little too high for me, for my liking as a coach. But when you got 14 turnovers and 30 assists and you got a two to one assist to turnover ratio versus the Toronto game where, you know, you have, you know, uh, 14 turnovers to 20 assists as a team, you know, when you're, when you're playing with that level of efficiency as a team on offense, no, Toronto or Miami's not going to get the amount of fast break points Toronto got. Um, so those things that they cleaned up from one game to the next, I think are some things that we can look forward to as we talk about them developing their winning style. And it'll be curious to see what they do against Atlanta. Um, will they look more like the Toronto game or they will they look more like the Miami game? Win or lose because they're not scoring a lot of points. But if if they play like they did against Miami and maybe nobody catches fire like Nas Reed did, they could lose. They could lose to Miami 112 to 108. I mean, I'm sorry, Atlanta 112 to 108 because Atlanta's going to put up some points um, with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young and the crew. But if they look more like they looked in the Miami game, then to me, that's progress, right? Versus if they look more than like they looked in the Toronto game, then we have the problem that I think has hampered this team going all the way back to last season, which is inconsistency in the style of basketball that they play, right? And so um, Mike Conley, I thought was outstanding um, against Miami and again, the fact that Mike Conley was able to get 10 shots off, six for 10, two for six from three against Miami, you know, where you look at Mike Conley's shot attempts against Toronto. And I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to pull it up really quick just to be sure. But, you know, he was four for nine against Toronto. So only one less shot attempt, a little bit more efficiency, but it just felt like he was in a better flow because. One, I felt like Chris Finch put the ball in his hands more. But two, I also feel like um, because the ball was moving, it gave him more opportunities. And I also felt like they called more set plays. And shout out to Dane Moore on the Dane Moore NBA podcast. He's consistently talked about them finding that balance between structure and flow. And it just looked like they called a lot of plays against Miami. And you almost kind of have to against Miami. You have to match their discipline with structure because if you play too free-flowing against Miami, they're going to wear you down. And, and their discipline is going to wear you down. So that might have been part of the game plan against a team like that, or it could have been just them slowly starting to matriculate toward the style that they're going to play to be effective. So um, Rudy Gobert, man, he's been outstanding through two games. Rudy balling his ass off. He looks good. He, he looks springy. Um, he looks alert. He looks unafraid to leave his area. Um, he looks like he knows where the ball is going to come um, on defense so that he knows where to be. Bam out of body was a tough matchup 
he's a mid-range assassin, so Bam don't get his. But Bam didn't he didn't he didn't make a living getting offensive rebounds and wide open dunks. He made a living having to rise up over people from you know ten to seventeen feet and make shots. And so um, defensively, the reason why they're number two right now, I think Rudy has a big big hand in that. And then offensively. Um, I think he's screen assisting extremely well. Um, He's running the floor extremely well. Um, You know, I think they, you know, by putting the ball in Mike Conley's hands a little bit more against Miami, they're able to capitalize off of that symmetry between Mike and Rudy. Um, And you can only do that if Ant and Kent are passing the ball, you know, and allowing those things to happen. Um, Nikhil is struggling with his shot. But a beautiful thing happened in that Miami game is he just kind of in the second half said, you know what, fuck it. Fuck my shot. I'm not going to worry about it. What I am going to do is I'm going to hound the hell out of Tyler Hero. And that's not to say he turned down shots. He still took the same shots. But, you know, um, one of the things about Jalen Noel that I always talked about was when shots weren't falling, he wore it on his sleeve. He wore it in his body language, and he could never get himself out of that rut. And he didn't have anything else to go to, right? He didn't have Nikhil's defensive acumen or size to be able to say, you know what? My girlfriend don't like me right now. I don't know what I did, but she don't like me. She done left the house, and I don't even know if she's coming back. But what I can do, what I can do is clean the house. What I can do is, you know, straighten some things up around here just in case she come back. She going to come back to a house she actually wants to be in. And I just felt like he just said, fuck it. I'm going to hound the hell out of Tyler Hero. As long as I'm out here on the floor, they going to feel me, even if I'm not making shots. And then what happened, lo and behold, his last couple of shots, he knocked down a couple. And then and then he had, then he shot one of the worst air balls I've seen the NBA player shoot, I think was his last shot of the night. But... By that time, they was blowing him out, and it's kind of like, oh, she ain't back yet. <laughs> you know, I thought I saw her car drive down the street. You know, I got I got a banker to go in. I, I hit three. I got excited. My baby's coming home. Nope. <laughs> you know? Uh, um, but that's shooting, you know. Troy Brown Jr. got some run, 15 minutes. He was 0 for 2. You know, I, I when I said in the pre in the season preview pod that Troy Brown was going to have some moments where he's really streaky and he can't hit nothing, and then he's going to have moments where he's just you know Malik Beasley in it when he's hot and everything's just falling and it's quick trigger and he's feeling it. And I said the same thing about Nikhil, like he's going to have moments where he can't hit nothing. He's going to have moments where he's you know, excuse me, three out of five, four out of six from three. I did not expect them to both be going through it at the same time in the first two games of the season. You know, I thought one or the other would be on and they could stagger that. I didn't know that both of them's girlfriend was going to leave them at the same time. I don't know what they was doing in the club, what they got busted doing, but they girls then clearly had a, girl, you know what my man doing? Girl, you know what my man doing? You know what? We don't need these bums. We Let's leave them. Because that's basically what both of their shots have done through two games. Um, but, you know, much to both of their credit, they're on the floor making things happen on the defensive end, diving for loose balls, scrapping. So good things happen, right? And then, you know, that's going to bring, you know, and Kyle, like I said, we already talked about Kyle's being consistently Kyle. Shake Milton is seemingly struggling to find his space, I think, a little bit. 
and find his game a little bit. Um, and I think part of that is the ball movement still isn't quite where it needs to be yet. I think another part of that is teams, you know, know his strengths and weaknesses and they're putting quicker players on him and applying a lot of ball pressure against him. And he's trying not to just go, right, which I appreciate because right now the way the team is struggling to find that rhythm offensively, the last thing they need is Shake Milton to be like, you know what, this dude pounding me out at half court, I'm just going to go on his ass. Right now they need passing more than they need that individual, I know how to get you off me, I'm just finna blow by you and go go get a bucket, right? So um, I think Shake Milton's time will come as they kind of, Again, find their winning style. Um, and then Nas Reed, Nas Reed, Nas Reed, you know. Uh, but Nas is just picking up where he left off. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. picking up where he left off at the last season. He's picking up where he left off through preseason. Nas is just doing Nas. And I think the beautiful thing about that, again, is, you know, he's simply playing – at his pace, which is fast mm-hmm. and decisive. You know, he's not shooting the ball with any hesitation whatsoever. I uh, said, so what the difference between right now when he's got the ball on the perimeter and when Cat's got the ball on the perimeter, Nas is, you know, being very decisive about what he's doing out there. Now, one advantage that Nas has that Cat doesn't have is Nas as, is a much shorter strider and Nas is much better at changing direction. So he's more equipped to handle smaller players, even from a perimeter standpoint where Cat has got to kind of bull power through smaller players. Nas has got a really nice combination of power and agility where he can change direction really well. And that makes him a tough cover, not to mention he's got supreme finishing skills with either hand. Like Nas can give it to you any way you want. You want three balls? I got you. You want post up? I got you. You want drives? I got you. You want left hands, I got you. You want right hands, I got you. And he's doing it all aggressively, but with composure right now and at a fast pace. Um, and so, you know, they're going to need that until Carl Anthony Thomas finds his rhythm. And oftentimes, Nas is going to be dealing with a player that's not really equipped to deal with him um, defensively because he's on the floor with Cat or Rudy, which means you got to, you know, you ha- they, ha- they have so much gravity that you have to focus your attention on them and it's allowing Nas to just kind of do his damn thing. Like, yo, I got a, I got a scrub on me. Or I got a mouse in the house. Yeah. Or they sagging in the trying to help. So I'm a dot AI, you know. So he's in a really good position to be successful. And, you know, all summer they talked about after signing him, where are they going to find the minutes for Nas? And what did I say? Look at the Bobby Porter's role in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Bobby Porter's average, I think, 24 minutes a game. Well, through two games, Nas has played 24 and 28 minutes. That's going to be Nas all long unless he plays himself off the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's that complicated if they're committed to what they're doing and committed to finding their winning style this way. So, you know, through two games, you 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 really have polar opposites. Um, I do recognize that Miami didn't play Jimmy Butler and Kevin Love and Caleb Martin. I recognize that. I also recognize that Miami's style of play challenges you challenges you just as much as their personnel. And if the Timberwolves would have played the same undisciplined, immature, ball hogging, ant and cat trying to put the whole league on demand on no on 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 notice, right? Style against Miami, they would have lost that game too. 
and and it would have been panic mode in the Twin Cities. But because they matched Miami's discipline and structure with discipline, structure, and better talent, finally they find the hot man in the hot moment. The building gets energized. Target center's loud. Their favorite son, Nas Reed, is the catalyst. So that made it even better. And once Nas started going off, Miami didn't have a chance. Because the energy created um, by how much the Target Center fans love Nas Reed um, with the fact that they're coming on the second night of a back-to-back, um, with the fact that the Timberwolves are really making a commitment to play defense, and what Nas was doing was making shots. And when shots are made, the other team has to take the ball out of the basket. And when they have to take the ball out of the basket, they got to deal with a set defense. And the Timberwolves are showing that their set defense is going to be one of the best, if not the best in the league. So, you know, that's why I'm curious to see what what their offensive rating goes up to because they're not going to stay 30 forever. I just I refuse to believe that with the amount of offensive weapons they have. I'm curious to see what it goes up to when Cat finds a rhythm, um, especially if Ant can continue playing the way he played in game two and just being patient and waiting for his moments and, you know, getting seven, eight, nine assists every night. And Jaden comes back, which puts Nikhil in his natural role. Um, you know, I just, I refuse to believe they're going to stay 30th in offensive efficiency. So, and Atlanta's another test. You know, they're all they're all tests. What did Barkley say? The thing about the beginning of the season is the bad teams don't know they're bad yet. Atlanta started off one and two. They're at home. They're going to be hungry for a win. They're going to play extremely hard, and they're probably going to play their best game of the young season because they know they don't want to start off one and three and have that bad taste that they had in the early part of last season, right, um, and the season before, especially. Uh, so. You know, it's going to be a good test for them tomorrow against Atlanta. And I think if the team that showed up against Miami shows up and they make shots, you know, whether Jaden plays or not, you know, if 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 Nikhil makes the wide open shots, he's been getting and Cat knocks down the open shots and gets to the free throw line a little bit. And then they continue to use that Cat matchup when Rudy goes to the bench in that mid post area where he can kind of impose his will. Um you know, I think they can beat Atlanta if they keep Atlanta out of transition. I just think that Atlanta is not going to be a good enough half-court team to deal with the defensive personnel that Minnesota can throw at them if Minnesota doesn't give them the game by poor shot choice, poor shot selection, and turnovers. Uh, and Minnesota's, you know, they've out-rebounded their first two opponents. So for all the rebounding talk, you know, they got out-rebounded on the offensive end, but it was like 9-7. to seven. So if you give up nine offensive rebounds and you get seven offensive rebounds, and you win the defense, the overall rebounding battle, you know, by five, you, know, you, you can win that way. You know, they lost the shot. They lost the shot uh, volume battle by one to Miami. Um, you know, they, they made the same amount of threes. Miami got to the free throw line more times. But again, relying on that half-court defense, the difference is Minnesota shot 51% from the field where Miami shot 40. So, you know, if you only get – if you don't turn the ball over and you don't give up offensive rebounds, then the other team only gets one more shot attempt than you, and you have a 10-point advantage, 10-point-plus advantage in field goal percentage, you should win the game. You know, And so so it, it, it'll be interesting to see which team shows up tomorrow night against Atlanta. Man. That's schedule. So, but you had fun that day? Uh, what's that? 
Was that? I said they stack. Their schedule was pretty stacked, uh, at least for the first two weeks. So they they plan coming up. They have a, a like you said. They have Atlanta. Yeah, and they, they come home for Denver. Denver. They go away for oh. Utah. Yeah, and, and side note, mm-hmm. Denver's looking like a juggernaut right now. Woof. The champs are. The champ is here. Denver's looking like juggernaut. However, I predicted it before the season, and I'm sticking by my prediction. Minnesota wins on Wednesday at home against Denver, and it might hand Denver their first loss. I just think Minnesota's not afraid of Denver. Okay. And I think Minnesota feels like where? I'm gonna go Charles Barkley. <laughs> I guarantee that the Wolves beat Denver on Wednesday night. I bet that. Oh, put your money on it. And if they don't win, call Lloyd, don't call me. <laughs> but if they win. Subscribe to the Coach and the Culture podcast because I'll make you more money the rest of the side. You just listen, you know, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think they win, but you're right. The schedule is stacked, um, but it's the NBA. This um, right now, there's more talent than at any given time I think ever in the league. That doesn't mean this is the most talented teams, but I think there's more skill players that there ever has been in the league, and so every night you have to bring it, and that's why. I feel like the way they lost against Toronto wasn't a matter of they didn't bring it. They brought everything but their composure, their basketball IQ, and their identity. Mm-hmm. But they brought their physicality, their defense, their energy, and their effort, and they were in the game to pretty much the very end. They missed some wide-open shots. Toronto made some shots, and that was the difference in the game in which they play like ass. So if their mentality is we're going to bring it for 82 games and they can bring intelligence and composure and maturity with the energy and the defensive mentality, because of their talent and skill level, they're going to win a lot of games. Can they be consistent at anything? Because right now for the last couple of years, the only thing the Wolves have proven they can be consistent at is being inconsistent. So I want to see it over long stretches of time. Do they continue to hold teams in the 90s? Well, that's I'll, what I'm looking for. And I know uh, we're, about, we're about to end the pod, but sure. how, how important, is it more important to have the, the better scheme or the personnel? Because I was watching the the Wolves play, and I noticed, you know, especially playing against the Heat, you know, the Heat has designated shooters over there. They got Tyler Hero, they have uh, Dunk, Duncan Robinson, right, Kyle Lowry. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure we have, if the Timberwolves have those designated shooters, how important, how much, how important is it to have those type of shooters? Or is it, should we just be leaning on the scheme of things to, well, I think that, um, you know, going back to the Miami game, the ideal circumstance for the Wolves is that the three-point line becomes a push. And that's what happened against Miami. And again, granted, Caleb Martin didn't play. Kevin Love didn't play. Those are guys that are also three-point shooters that, you know, depending on the defense, may or may not have 
made a difference, you know, in 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 Miami's shooting. But I think if you're the Timberwolves, you just want to push, meaning you want your defense to force the other team's three-point shots to be so difficult that you keep their percentage down and then you're counting on Carl Anthony Towns shooting a higher percentage. You know, you're counting on Anthony Edwards shooting around 40%. You're counting on um um uh um Jaden McDaniel shooting around 40%. You know what I'm saying? You're counting on your shooters to shoot well, even if you don't take the same volume that the high three-point volume shooting teams in the league might take. So ideally, you know, you look at the Miami situation. Miami went 12 for 39, so they got almost 43 point shots up. Um, the Timberwolves went 12 for 35. So that's a push. If you can get a push from the three-point line and run efficient offense so that you're not giving up those transition points like they gave up against Toronto by being stupid in how you play offense, I think they're banking on their size being able to win and dominate the points in the paint battle more often than not. So if you can get a push on the three-point line, you can play without fouling and 14 free throw attempts that Miami took is not a high amount. You know, you don't want that number to be in the mid-20s like the Wolves have been consistently for the last couple of years. So even though the Wolves didn't get to the line a lot, because again, Miami's a very disciplined team, they don't foul a lot, that gap wasn't there. You know, it wasn't like Miami was... 27 for 35 for 30 from the you know 32 from the free throw line and all of a sudden that gap in the game you know in the in in the final uh numbers of the game is made up you know because Miami would have taken so many more free throws than the Wolves so they did a good job of not allowing the free throw gap or the three point gap to cancel out their advantage in interior scoring and I think that's the formula for them is playing disciplined enough and playing defense in the half court well enough and hard enough that we might not be able to generate the three-point looks with foot speed that some of these other teams can generate, but we can generate three-point looks for our best shooters because of how you have to guard us. Because you have to help off somebody when Ant drives. And you still have to account for Rudy when Ant drives. So if Jaden and Cat can knock down those shots and Mike Conley can knock down those shots, they might not be just coming down, jacking up threes off of, you know, flare actions and stagger actions the way that um, the way that, you know, Miami does. But you're generating quality looks by utilizing your advantages um, in, in your size. Right. And in, in, in your execution. So I think that's probably, you know, if I could talk to Chris Finch, I would bet that that's probably part of the formula when we start talking about developing that winning style. But the offense has to help the defense. And as long as the offense is helping the defense by the, by the, the quality of shots and the timing of shots that they take on offense, eventually you're going to find a couple of hot guys. There's just too many elite scorers on the Wolves team for two or three of them to not be hot every day. Whether Jaden goes eight for nine, you know, and seven for eight from three and gives you 20-something, or Nas gives you 20-something in 20 minutes, or there's going to be nights where Shake Milton gets hot. You hope Cat finds his rhythm and that efficiency that he's had throughout the years. You know Ant's going to be a high-volume scorer. 
you know, um, and you just want to be consistent enough in the quality of shots and the rhythm and timing of the shots you take so that you're not, um, you know, again, so that you're not hindering uh, your foot speed um, deficiency by allowing the other team to get runouts off of imbalanced floors. Make them play five on five as many times down court as possible and then run them off of three-point lines as often as possible. Make them try to beat you two points at a time. I would guess that's probably the formula they're going for. Of course, the other teams are NBA players too, and they're trying not to let you, they're trying to execute their own formula. So it comes down to who can impose their stylistic will on who if both teams are playing with high IQ, high discipline, mature basketball, right? A lot of times the Wolves have just lost games because they haven't played with the same level of basketball IQ and maturity and composure and discipline that their opponents are playing with or they get caught playing their opponent's style of game, which is why you lose games to a lot of bad teams because you're getting caught up in how they want to play. Things are coming easy and it's fool's gold. And the next thing you know, a bad team then beat you because you let them get comfortable because you're not playing your style. You're playing how they want to play, right? So that's why I'm curious to see which team shows up against Atlanta. Will they play their style of ball or will they get sucked into playing Atlanta style of ball? Whatever that is for Atlanta, which, you know, obviously is going to be guard heavy with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. So we're going to find out. Um, we're back in a week. We're going to try to do this weekly, man. Yes, sir. We're back in a week. We're, we got a new location. We're going to be on location so we can start to slowly segue into our YouTube jammy. You yep. know, if there's anybody out there listening that's interested in kind of being our video coordinator, um, you know, where I can watch the games and point out some clips and then you take those clips because I ain't got time for all that. <laughs> you know, somebody that can take those clips and and make sure that um, they're packaged in a way in which we can talk about them. Um in the video portion of our podcast, we're, we're, we're elevating, man. We the Dream Shop has given us a home, so uh, we 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 have a, a new spot that we are going to now be broadcasting out of at least twice a month. So I think we're going to be twice a month video, which is good because you know I'm easy on the ladies' eyes, so I got to get on video so they can you know what I'm saying. No, I'm just playing, <laughs> and but uh, we're going to be t- uh, twice a month on video, twice a month on Zoom audio, so. Please keep following the Coach and the Culture podcast. Um, hit us up on the direct message. Let us know what you think about the show, our breakdown of the first two games. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back next Sunday uh, breaking down this week's games coming up, starting with Atlanta tomorrow and Denver on Wednesday and Utah on Saturday. So three games to talk about and this recurring theme of what style are the Timberwolves committing to playing um, because until they until they uh, start consistently playing their style, um, we're not really going to know what the maximized version of this team looks like, or will they continue to be that consistently inconsistent team that they've been for the last uh, year and a half plus. So, you know, these next three games are going to tell us a lot, maybe not necessarily in wins and losses, but in terms of how it all unfolds. So thank you for listening to the Coach in the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank in the building with, Super producer Lloyd Leon Coop. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Coach Pruner. Uh, on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram, uh, uh, Coach, Coach Culture Minnesota. Hit us up on Facebook, The Coach and the Culture. Um, yeah, and uh, I would love some feedback because, you know, we're talking good shit. <laughs>
So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about what we're talking. Oh, and before we go, shout out to Britt Robson. I got a chance just the other day, uh, yesterday, to listen to him with Dane right after uh, the day after the the uh, uh, Toronto game. And I swear he was taking all the words right out of my mouth, man. Britt, Britt, no, Britt, Britt definitely knows how to critique. <laughs> He's straight no chasers. So I got to give him a shout out because it was funny. I was laughing, listening, like, uh, um, because it was a couple of days after they re- they did it, and I was like, man, he is literally saying everything verbatim that I said, including multiple times using the word stupid <laughs> to describe the Wolves' uh, play against Toronto. So shout outs to Britt. Tune in. Uh, we'll be back next Sunday with another uh, recording. Until then, I'm Coach Frank. That's Super Producer Coop, coaching the Culture Podcast. Peace. <laughs>